Hello, everybody. My name is Polly Hammond, and you are listening to Uncorked, the Italian wine podcast series about all things marketing and communication. Join me each week for candid conversations with experts from within and beyond the wine world as we explore what it takes to build a profitable business in today's constantly shifting environment. In this episode, we are joined by Jane Anson, my favorite world's expert on the wines of Bordeaux and a delightful, hardworking human being. In 2021, after nearly two decades at Decanter, Jane made the bold decision to move on. In October, she launched Jane Anson Inside Bordeaux, a subscription-based digital platform featuring tasting notes, comprehensive reports, on-the-ground insights, podcast, and a brilliantly searchable database. Today, I talk to Jane about the business decisions and lessons learned as she builds Inside Bordeaux. Let's get into it. Jane, welcome. Thank you so much for agreeing to be here today on this, our inaugural episode of Uncorked for the Italian Wine Podcast. I guess the best place to start with Inside Bordeaux is the elephant in the room. Here we are. We are in the middle of a pandemic. Wine writing is being questioned as a viable profession. You have a seemingly cushy spot after almost 20 years at Decanter, and you decide to go your own way. I'm certain there are people who are asking, what were you thinking? Okay, I think it's a, it's a very fair question and honestly one that I asked myself a number of times when I was making the decision of whether or not to hand in my notice and to do this. Um, I mean, one thing actually is fair to say that I was freelance with Decanter, although I was with them for a very long time and I, and I hope I was a, a real part of the team, I wasn't on staff. So that does make perhaps a bit of a difference to begin with. But actually, the, the main reason, I feel so grateful for everything that I did with Decanter and they've been wonderful. And I hope in the future that you know we'll still do Decanter World Wine Awards and certain things together. But honestly, the main reason was I'd got to the point in my career where I felt I really had great base of knowledge about Bordeaux and it's an important area and I could see that there was a gap in the market for this kind of a site. So you look at Burgundy which is you know a a similar level of of prestige and global interest and there are five or six sites which are dedicated purely to Burgundy and to date there hasn't been one for Bordeaux certainly in the English language and it seemed to me that this was a, a good time to do it. We're looking more and more at content being specialized that people will pay for. Exactly as you said, a lot of these traditional media are struggling and it's certainly not going to be easy to get this off the ground and I'm not, I'm not suggesting it will be, but we are seeing a move towards, um, you know, we're seeing a move towards paid for content by specialists. You see things like Substack and the rise of things like that. And, and I, I could see that there is a, a place in the market for a site which really specializes in Bordeaux, which is sold, we shouldn't forget, in 170 countries worldwide, which is a huge part of the business model of many, many wine merchants around the world, and that a lot of wine lovers have in their cellars. Bordeaux is a wine which will age fairly easily at the top end for 30, 40 years. It means people are, you know, are buying and selling these wines. And I'm hoping to be able to provide a place where there's a lot of information about it, not just from me, from other Bordeaux experts as well, and which will grow and become a a great resource for people. So we can talk about it rationally right now, but at some point, did you have that moment when you're like, oh shit, I'm leaving Decanter. What am I doing? (laughs) Okay. So you're definitely right. On one side, I I had a job which when you tell people you're Bordeaux correspondent for Decanter magazine, pretty much everybody says, okay, how do I get that job? 
that's the dream job, what a dream gig, etc. And honestly, I'm hugely, hugely grateful to Decanter for giving me the opportunity. And I hope that I also did a great job for them. I mean, I think over the years, Bordeaux has been seen as the you know, the domain purely of old white men. And it really has, has needed, I think, to, to kind of connect with a wider audience. And I hope that I've been helpful in having a more, you know, I'm, I'm a woman, that's one thing. I'm a little, I was younger when I started, not so much now, but when I started, when I was given the job. But also, um, I think I communicate about wine in a less formal way. And that's something that I've always liked. I'm a writer, I've been a writer before, and I always care about connecting emotionally with my audience and with and just being myself when I'm talking about wine. And I think that's that had a you know had a good response to it. And so I hope it's been a good two-way street for Decanter as well. And the last couple of years, I think so many of us have stopped and looked at what we're doing and thought, can I do better? Is there a way that I can, you know, grow what I'm doing and keep challenging myself? And if we look over the last couple of years, it also coincided the beginning of lockdown with the launch of my book Inside Bordeaux. So that had been about a three-year process of of research. It wasn't with Decanter; it was with um, a brilliant publishing BBR and um, BBR Press or BB and R Press, who also did Inside Burgundy. And it was just a great team who really took the time to do a, an in-depth book with fantastic maps, fantastic, um, just giving me the freedom to really explore Bordeaux in a way that hadn't been done before, because I really looked at the terroir of Bordeaux and um, just kind of gave as much equal space to new people who were doing organic biodynamics as well as the classified growths. And I think it really did kind of expand my knowledge of Bordeaux as well, I hope, of the people who are reading it. And so by the end of that, the lockdown happened. So the launch wasn't flying all over the world to be really fabulous in, in every country. Instead, it was an awful lot of, of Zooms, but it worked really well. That also coincided with 67 Palmal launching, or first of all with Zooms and then going into the TV. Basically, those things expanded my profile and expanded also my understanding of what content can be. I think one of the things that I loved with 67 Palmal was that I was much more in direct contact with the people who were drinking the wines. And I loved it. I've always liked teaching. I, I teach at the Ecole du Van here. And I like being in front of people and, make, and kind of trying to make people feel excited about wine the way that often it makes me feel excited or frustrated about it when it makes me frustrated. You know, the Bordeaux is a kind of funny system, which can be fascinating and can be hugely annoying at the same time. So just kind of, you know, opening it up and being real about it. So how did your history, your understanding, your experience, your awareness of the complexity, as, as well as really understanding who that audience is, factor into the site planning and what became Inside Bordeaux? By the time that um, that I decided to, to stop and launch my own site, I knew that I understood my you know my subject matter I, I knew that I had a, a good kind of handle on on Bordeaux and I also know how complicated this place is and how much nuance there is and how it isn't just about the huge chateaus which are wonderful and I love them of course but there's so much else that's going on here and so I had a couple of things that I wanted to do with my site and it was most importantly I wanted the database to be simple usable fast and actually do what you want it to do. So I'd had a bit of frustration over really a number of years. And this is 
again, it's not against Decanter. If you're if you're a legacy brand, you've been you know, you've been around for forty years. You're one of the very first in the in, in the internet space. You know, it's, it's hugely laudable what they did, but inevitably you're putting on extra bits as you go along, and it becomes a little bit more clunky. So I started to be frustrated with having spent. You know, a long time, weeks and weeks and weeks on doing what I knew were very good in-depth reports of the whole of on primer or in bottle tastings. And then sometimes it being a little bit complicated to actually find the the resulting scores or to be able to view them in a way that was easy. So my my brief to my to the team who built the site was was that was to make sure that the website was that the sorry the database part of the website the search was easy to use but also that you could choose to look at your you could either look at a long list of just the name plus the score or you can have the whole note visible or you can have half the note visible you can you can search it by name you can search it by score you can search it by appellation by year there are tons of different ways that you can um, search you can search by red or by white whatever I, I just try to make sure that for a user this would be an enjoyable way to search wine and honestly it's something I'm so proud of now that when I use my even when I'm using the search engine it's doing what I wanted it to do and I think they did such a great job with the build and that was hard you know finding the right person I did a um, master's in internet publishing a long, God, such a long time ago, about 15 years ago. I never, never thought that. Actually, that would be a very first, different master's well, than it is very, now, I'm assuming. Different. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and my first job in kind of online media, in fact, God, not even 15 years ago, I've been in Bordeaux for so long. It must have been, yeah, over 20 years ago. Wow. And my, my last job before I came out to, to kind of starting to work in wine was as managing editor of Prime Location. I don't know if you, Prime Location now is like a property website, but when it launched, it was this multi-channel. It was in the pre-dot-com, like dot-com boom years. So there was like a multi-channel thing and, and I did a lot of content strategy for it. So it was quite fun use, coming back and using that kind of those learnings that I hadn't really thought about for a long time about how do you get content on the site? How do you move people through the site so it's interesting for them? So that was another thing that I'm really, really proud of. And I know I'm just at the beginning of it, but this idea of, I want people to, yes, of course, to look at my notes, but I want people also to have fun ways to look at subjects which creates conversations and which is an interesting way to do things. So I've done, I've worked with a historian. I've got a, a great article from a historian called Charles Luddington about Irish merchants in the 18th century in Bordeaux. And then to, to accompany that, I then interviewed him for a podcast. So you have both. You can either look at the history or you can listen to a podcast of him talking about it. And this week coming up, I've got um, this brilliant 21-year vertical of um, Chateau Palmer, which is really, really rare to have such an in-depth vertical of Chateau Palmer. But to go with it, I've got this great um, profile of Charles Palmer himself, the original guy who gave the name to the Chateau. And he fought in the Peninsula Wars. He was um, an MP for, for Bath, a, a, a UK city for many, many years. And then he fought in a duel. He went bankrupt. He died penniless. I mean, he just has got this awesome life. And so I thought, that's you know really great. So you have this interesting vertical of the wines, but then also something that you could then go and talk to your friends about while you're drinking the wine is, oh, did you know that this guy, his dad was the person who gave 
England its first, the real, the modern postal system. Like he set up the first coaches between London and Bath. So yeah, there's, there's so many stories in every wine region around, around the world. It just so happens that my speciality is Bordeaux. And I'm super lucky that Bordeaux has been making wine for 2000 years. And there are just a million stories of what's happening here. And then because I'm also with 67 Palmal still, I can also use their videos. So that's another way that people can get content on my site. So one of my wines of the year this year was Petrus, Petrus 2000. And, and one of the reasons I chose it was because I'd done the Petrus in space tasting last year. I don't know if you followed that. Yes. A crazy, yes. crazy tasting where I got to taste a wine that had been on the International Space Station. And we did a documentary about it for 67 Palmel. So again, on the site, you can read the tasting note and read about the tasting, but you can also look at the documentary, which gives obviously a much better and very professional, that I couldn't ever have done on my own, a very professional overview of the whole Petrusian space story. So, so yeah, so it's cool. So, so in, in terms of all that content, because I have seen you talk about the fact that you can get the articles, you can get the podcast, you can get the documentaries, and then eventually there will be experiences as well. Um, what has that experience for you been evolving into creating all of this? How much of it do you do yourself and how much of it do you outsource? I'm curious. So obviously I'm outsourcing the technical side in terms of building the website. Um, I've taken a bit more in-house now, as in me, because I arranged for a price for building the site. So I guess one thing I should say is that I chose not to have outside investors. So I think an awful lot of these websites that are done by I know, my equivalent, so, so Venus, et cetera, they, mm -hmm. are, they have outside investors. And I chose, at least at the beginning, not to do that. And I, I did have the opportunity to. I was, I was offered it if I wanted to. But, but I wanted to be in control, at least at the beginning, of knowing it would work as a business. I didn't want the stress of getting somebody else's money investing in me before I knew that this would actually work as a business. And so it seemed to me a far less scary idea. What I did was in my head, I thought, how many, this is how much it's going to cost me to build a site. You know, and it, it's not an inconsiderable investment because I wanted it to look good. I wanted it, like I say, I wanted the database to be good. And that costs money to do a good, a good site like that. So anyway, so I, I thought, okay, this is what it's going to cost me. And I looked at how many subscribers I would need to get in order to pay myself back what I was going to invest. And all of a sudden, after I did that, it didn't feel so unmanageable. And honestly, it was really just take breaking it down little by little and trying not to run before I could walk. I really took the opinion that it doesn't, I don't have to, I don't have to get a million subscribers in the first two months. I have to do a good job. I have to, I have to do something which I can build. And that's how I feel like I'm doing it. So how formal was that business planning? Was it sitting around the dining table with your advisors or your family or sitting at a computer with yourself? Or was it actually rigidly going out, determining demographics, markets, channels? So it was a bit of both. I had done, um, I did some market research. I have, luckily I've worked in wine for so long now. I know I've worked in, in, with Decanter for about 20 years. And because of the way I work with Decanter, I did the Decanter World Wine Awards for them. I did a weekly column that I've been doing for over a decade with them. I did the En Primeur. I used to do news. I don't, didn't at the end because I just had too many other things to do, but I used to do weekly or daily news, you know, whenever news was there and also articles. So I worked across every different part 
a decanter. And then at more recently doing masterclasses and traveling to Shanghai with them. I mean, it was great. I really was. It was a great job. So anyway, it kept me very busy, but it also helped me understand the different elements that you need to make something work. So I definitely had a lot of, a lot of experience in that. But I then had advisors like Sarah. Sarah Kemp was really, truly invaluable. And one thing that I have not said, and I really should make clear, she, the podcast, Sarah herself has launched a, a podcast site recently that's called The Wine Conversation. And she has been editing my podcast. And again, I couldn't be doing this without that. And I think that's, you know, when you're freelance, I've been freelance for such a long time, you get used to doing everything on your own. And I think one of the coolest things, but also the the thing I have to get used to the most with, with my own business is you have to be able to ask for help. You have to know where the skills are of other people that you don't have and go out and get them. And so, you know, Sarah's been just brilliant. And the fact that I can think of good topics with podcasts and do the recording, but then she does the editing for it has been massively helpful for me. And the way that we've done it is we're doing it as a partnership where um, they're, they're free, sorry, they're, um, what do you call it? They're subscriber only for the first first week so all of my subscribers will get a week when it's purely on janehanson.com and then it will go on to the wineconversation.com so it works for both of us and um and, and it just takes a load off my shoulders to know that there's someone who knows what they're doing who can who can edit that part so i notice in some of your public posting that it looks like you've got filming that happens in the house you recently said that your daughter helped create the animation for <laughs> the gift card how much of this is a family experience or ha has it become a, a family experience because i know that i wrangle my team and all of our families into how are we going to do this or we need bodies or voices you know what's been the experience as part of the family so so i've had i haven't done too much for my family my, my daughter who did the um the animation is 13 so i can't have to do too much but she's brilliant she's so brilliant so i just wanted to do something fun and different and she can do it in 10 minutes and it would have taken me a whole lot longer so that was great um Somebody that I have brought on board, um, who is not in my immediate family, but who is, is somebody I know who lives, lives in London, who's been doing my um, Instagram and my um, my social media. So I'm used to doing Twitter. I've been on it for years, and I do a lot of it. I'm very active on it. Um, but that's been something else. Realizing you have to have a strategy for how you do this properly. And so, although I, I'm very comfortable and I like doing social media. It's having the time to do it every day and, and you know, really trying to work through it. So that's been helpful. So I have paid for somebody to help me doing social media posts. Um, and then I actually have a, a lovely woman in Australia who's on maternity leave, and she's been doing some uploading of the site. So again, I know how to do it. The other thing that I love the guys who built my site for is that the CMS, the content management system, is very easy to use, which was really important for me. That, and so I could do it, but it's just there's so many elements that you need to to master. So she's been wonderful. I can finish the articles and the um, tasting notes, and then I send them to her and she uploads them. Right. And, and that notion of cyber elves is actually quite yeah. popular because they're working while you're sleeping. Um, so the social media, it's interesting that you bring it up because one of the things I noticed in doing research for this is that you have actually created separate social media channels for Jane Anson inside Bordeaux. As opposed oh. to your established it is Jane Anson, I'm a person. Um, and in fact, I have, so I, I'm really glad you asked. And that just shows how 
I don't get everything right and I am learning as I go. And so with Instagram, I set up a Jane Anson um, Inside Bordeaux Instagram, but actually I stopped using it. And in fact, if you go to it, you'll see there are only like four or five posts because I realize why on earth am I doing that when I have whatever, you know, 7,000, I don't know how many I've got now, but whatever, 7,000 or so followers for Jane Anson. And since my website anyway is called janeanson.com, it seemed crazy not to take advantage of the number of followers I had. So that was a really good example of where I thought, oh, I'd better do a separate, but I didn't. And perhaps if I'd had somebody, a, a great agency and from the beginning telling me what to do, I would never have done that. The only diff- the only one I did and still use separately is on um um, Facebook. I don't really use Facebook very much, and I don't. I'm not a massive fan of Facebook, but I thought I, I better do something. So there, I do tend to post to the Jane Anson Inside Bordeaux one. So when you were doing that, because you know there are always issues around naming. Do we use our own name? What does it mean for an exit strategy? What happens if I want to retire out of this and I sell? I mean, we've all just seen this happen in a really big way in wine, where a huge publisher's name is going with the product. Did you ever stop and ask yourself, should I call this Jane Anson or should we just run with Inside Bordeaux as a completely separate entity? Of course. I, I thought about it very hard and we spent a long time. And in fact, I also have the site Inside um, Bordeaux. I don't think, I think one of the problems was it, it isn't Inside Bordeaux, it's Inside underscore Bordeaux, I think, or whatever. It's something similar, which actually does send you to it. If you, t- if you put that in, it will also send you to janeanson.com. But what I decided in the end was... It's my name that has now got a, a good profile. It seems sensible to be using my name. Plus, I thought, although, yes, I am talking mainly about Bordeaux, I also do all the wines that are through the Place de Bordeaux, which is now, you know, it's huge. That's probably 80 to 100 different wines. And you've got Opus One, you've got Masetto, you've got all of these icon wines of the world, and they will grow. There's no question about it. And so if I just called it Inside Bordeaux, I started worrying that it was actually going to be too reductive. And and again, you're thinking, you're right, future exit strategy, et cetera. It, it just seemed to give more flexibility if I'm confident and, and, and talking about me as being the brand for now. But as you say, it doesn't stop anything. Jancis was able to sell her site. Robert Parker was able to sell his site. You know, there's, I, I think if you, if you, build a good brand and you develop good content and you get people to come and enjoy it, then there's always the possibility down the line to sell the business and have an exit strategy. Okay. So let's talk about that. You've, you've focused heavily in the production on what you knew you had wanted as a consumer of information over the years and therefore what a great reader experience or customer experience it would be when people flow through the site and access the information they need. How has being independent, you know, you've got no investors, you aren't taking any advertising, how has that level of independence changed the tone or the content or the style of messaging that you're putting out? Are you less formal? Are you more willing to explore something that maybe you didn't have the opportunity to do when you were working with Decanter? It's a really interesting question. I think, okay, a few of the things that I'm, well, maybe the number one thing that's different, I I think I've always been quite, it's always been my voice. It's something that I really care about when I write, because I think if you like writing, you want, it's no point if it's not on your own voice. You know, that's, you know, for me, the craft of writing is really important. And so the fact that I write in my own voice is always important to me. Um, But um, 
there's a few things. So when I set up the site, and again, because it was me putting in my money, I was able to do this. I decided right from the start that I'm doing 1% for the planet. So 1% of my turnover, not profit turnover, goes back to the charity 1% for the planet. Um, and that's you know something that was really important to me. And then I hope going forward, you know, you can select the charities you work with. So I'm hoping going forward that I will really be able to focus more on on charities that are directly connected to viticulture. And then perhaps I can go and work with them or I can find ways that my subscribers can 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 get involved with them. You know, all that kind of stuff is in my mind for the future. And I'm doing two things, something which I'm sure if I had investors, they wouldn't be thrilled about, but I'm going to do a mentor week, which I need to properly focus on. But I think it'll be next September, my first one. And for that, I will get um, people who want to break into wine to come to Bordeaux. They might be young sommeliers. They might be young wine writers. They might be you know, whoever, people who who feel like Bordeaux has has been too closed off for them, too I know, not diverse enough, not w- whatever the reason, but Bordeaux not been welcoming Not welcoming. Yeah, yeah. Exactly, yeah, not welcoming enough. So so trying to get them to come here for, for, I don't know how long, for maybe a week. And I'm thinking during harvest, so there's something for them to do. And and then I will, not, I will give my time for free. That will be a completely free week and get them to not only go out and meet people who are doing agroforestry or biodynamics or you know interesting stuff but also to go to the great chateaus and taste old wines i thought that would be a really interesting thing that they maybe don't have the chance to do is taste these old wines that are too expensive and hard to get hold of and kind of get that conversation going with for for, for them a lot of chateaus are interested and happy to help i need to find ways i'd like to find a travel partner so that i can get them to come over here um but that i think that's something which i hope i can just kind of again it's not and just giving back such an awful word, but you know what I mean? Just kind of trying to show that the thing that I know about Bordeaux, people dismiss it, but actually Bordeaux is a very important area economically for the world of wine. It's why this is not, it's not a crazy idea, me going on my own and launching a website because Bordeaux is sold in 170 countries worldwide. And the vast majority, that they're big productions. These guys make you know, hundreds of thousands of bottles per, per year, these big estates. And they're bought and sold over and over for decades. Therefore, there is, there's money. And so just to say, oh, Bordeaux's snobby, Bordeaux's not for me, that's a shame if you're young and you're getting into wine because it's given me a great career being here. And I, you know, I, I really think that's something that's, that's important. And so if I can help other people to not dismiss it and to think, okay, maybe there is a place for me here too, then that, that's something great for me. Um, one other thing that... We talked about other things that I can do to make money because you're right. This is, it's a business and I'm not getting um, advertising and I'm not going to invest in, but what I do want to do is to develop events. So events will be small at the beginning. All I'm doing at the beginning, and I want to make this the best week that if you're a Bordeaux lover, this is the single greatest week to come on. I'm going to do one a year and it will be with Sarah. So we'll be co-hosting and we're bringing over just 12 people to Bordeaux and that already it's um I just we just talked about it or rather advertised it like two weeks ago it's already sold out it was really was an amazing response but we're taking 12 wine lovers and they'll do things like they're going to have private dinner at Lafitte they're going to have a private dinner at Chateau Margaux they're going to go you know it's going to be an awesome and really special week and we just want to do that once a year so that it can build up a buzz and because also we don't want to abuse our you know, the, the, the chat, you know, it's because we Your have relationships. Exactly. It's because they trust us that they're allowing us to do this. And so I think once a year is plenty, but that's kind of something really fun. And it's something which 
I it is it really if you're a subscriber it's giving you something which you wouldn't be able to get without it and for the mentor week it's not necessarily for my subscribers but my subscribers can nominate other people because I'm thinking if you're a young sommelier you might not be able to afford to subscribe to to Jane Anson Doc, although it's not expensive, but still you might choose not to do so. But the guy who owns the bar, he could do, but he could nominate members of his team to come and be on that mentor week. Right. So you just mentioned the guy who owns the bar, the guy who works for the bar, but we also have invite only awesome experiences. But there's an assumption that somebody at this point, um, has enough money that they can get there, that they know Bordeaux, you know, that, that it's, it's slightly different from maybe the person who's working oh, at the yeah. bar. The, the connoisseur week's not free. Yeah, <laughs> no, definitely not. So um, when we look at the site, something I'm really curious about, how do you make a business decision about what is paywalled and what is not? You alluded to your agreement with Sarah that there are some things that are paywalled for one week, then they go up on the the public, the wine um, conversation yep. podcast site. So what's the criteria for this? So any wine um, reviews will all be always behind the paywall. Um, something that I had a lot of success with at the beginning, and really it was almost uh, just by by chance, but I was super lucky, was at the very beginning, I did a September report, which was a report of all of the non-Bordeaux wines. And that was free. That was free to give away. And I did it as a PDF that was really nicely laid out. And it was basically when the site was coming, I said, coming soon. And you and as a taster of what's going to happen, you can download this report. So that was a lot of tasting notes that was free. Um, but honestly, the reason why I did that was because we weren't ready to launch at that point. We weren't ready to launch the paywall. And so we made a... Um, a real benefit of that by saying, come and um, taste, have a taster and download. And I got you know, close to 2000 downloads for that. It was incredible. The response was brilliant. And it was, and then I had those emails to be able to market you know, my, my weekly newsletter to, and, and I actually got a very, very good response of, of, of um, people who subscribed afterwards. But that was great. But now it's launched. I, I, I'm thinking everything that is, um, wine notes that people are likely to to use because obviously there's quite a few people who are um what you call it who, who sell wine who have subscribed and so that's a useful um business thing for them so i don't think it's unreasonable that that is behind the paywall and then with the with the rest of it it's kind of i i don't honestly i just try and think i want to make sure that there's enough stuff that's free that can draw people in but not too much. And a lot of it is to do with what do I think personally is the things that I would want, I would pay for. What do I think are the things that are really um, unusually um, interesting or, or, and then other, and then like the history stuff I love, but a lot of that I've made free because it's so interesting and it's nice to draw people in and um, uh, book reviews have been free. Um, news stories have been free. I, I you know I I just I've really I, I've got to say I don't have a hugely clever strategy for that except for a feeling of what um, what works and what doesn't and so that's something that I'm guessing going forward SEO is going to help me to understand what are the things that people most like reading about what are the things that is a benefit maybe for me to draw people in to subscribe of what's free and what isn't so I really want to talk about SEO but first I'm curious. Have you had any negative feedback from people who are like, oh, knowledge should be free. You shouldn't put this behind a paywall. I deserve to get it for free for some reason. 
no, everyone's been amazing. The only one negative thing I've had is somebody who subscribed and then said, but where are all the tasting notes? And I said, oh, I'm so sorry, but I wasn't able to bring my decanter notes with me because that's the property of decanter and I'm, you know, I'm building it up again, but I'm blah, 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 blah. Anyway, I actually gave him a, a refund because I didn't want him to be upset. I said, oh, please come back next year. You know, just uh, better to be, <laughs> better to be nice. You were Taylor Swift having to remaster <laughs> your right. um, your original. Um, one of the things I noticed on the site that surprised me, quite honestly, was the lack of Chinese language. And in fact, it's not a multilingual site. Was that a conscious decision or just not no. able to do it right now? It was exactly, exactly. It was a question of I wanted to launch and and the, and I didn't have the time or the budget to to just straight away make it make it multilingual. That doesn't mean that I won't in the future. It's definitely something I look at. But you know, also again with Decanter, we have Decanter and Decanter China. Decanter China was very very successful. But I know from experience that a lot of the wine lovers in China, at after a certain level, at a certain height of wine level, wine lover, sorry, they actually preferred reading the Decanter dot com in English, not necessarily the Chinese version. So I didn't think it was a problem to begin with, but it's definitely something that I'll look at. So you talked about SEO. I'm going to go really geeky and I apologize for that. Um, how much attention do you pay to these things? I've got a whole list for you. Lead funnels. So they subscribe, they get an automated email series, you follow up with them. Do you care? Do you not care? How's that working? Oh God, I definitely care, but I've got to say I haven't done it enough. And that's one of, so this is something that I'm definitely learning and I understand why at some point I probably will, you know, I, I will need to expand and get a team because it's getting, it's being, it's being able to cover all of these things. That's something I'm finding the most um, you know, challenging in a good way, but that I'm conscious I need to do more of is exactly that. So following up all the SEO stuff and also partnerships finding out because I'm being asked quite regularly, do I want to be in partnership with you know, anything from, from the kind of wine searches type, not just wine search, but other places where you can, where you can find wines or, um, you know, aggregators. Marketing things. aggregators, they have actually, there's so much. And I have this long list of people that I need to sit down with and work out should, you know, how can we work together? Will it be a benefit for both of us? And that, um, that, yeah, that's challenging for somebody who's doing it on their own. So I would, mm. That's definitely something which I know next year I will need to find somebody to help me with that. So one of the things um, to go off piece a little bit that's I'm, I'm enjoying hearing but is surprising me in this conversation is that from day one, you have been willing to go outside and get help. Where so often what we hear is someone who anticipated they were going to be doing it all on their own or had to figure out how to do it all on their own or frankly didn't have the money or the interest in spending the money to go out and outsource. Um, so I'm curious, in that process of, of finding those external resources, are there any that you felt really stood out that you were like, wow, had I not had an advisor, I wouldn't have known that I needed this one thing. And this one thing has made all the difference to how Inside Bordeaux launched. Um, I think... I was conscious from the beginning that I, I wanted to do a good job with this, that I thought, because it goes back to this idea, right? I had a good job that had, a, that had a good profile and all the rest of it, but I wanted, I wanted to be more in control of, of how 
and my, my content was being displayed, how I could have fun with it, how I could change it. But but I knew it had to be good quality or else there was no point me me leaving. And so I think I was conscious from the beginning of finding the right people to help me. And I'm, I also was conscious, you know, if I'm doing something with other people, I want to pay them. I don't, I didn't want to be, you know, I want, didn't want to be constantly calling in favors. I wanted to be sure. So, so the person who's doing my upload, you no, know, she's being paid for it. The person who is doing my social media, they're being paid for it. I was very conscious of, 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 of being sure that I'm not, I'm not just building a sustainable business, but I'm also helping, you know, like something I'm actually really enjoying is actually employing people and, and, um, they're only tiny, piece by time by time, but but still, I I I didn't I wanted to to to, to do something that that that's, that works for everybody, um, and I think if you're coming talking to what was the single most important thing, knowing I think probably the the social media was the thing that would be easiest to think you can do it all by yourself, but realizing to actually make it successful, realizing that I had to ask for help for that and outsource that was probably the thing that was most helpful. Right. Jane, are you an overachiever? Like just in your life, would you define yourself as one of these people that, you know, you were in high school and you were always doing better than everyone else? Is this your personality? Um, I, no, <laughs> I, I think I, I work hard. I definitely work hard. I'm definitely somebody who believes the harder you work, the luckier you get. I definitely believe that. But I was not um, somebody at school who, who are who you a control freak? I think sometimes I find it that, that, this is something that's really interesting now, that idea of knowing what you can't do and having to um, and finding the right person to do it, but trusting them to do it. I think that's a really interesting thing that I'm finding now about running my own business. Um, I think one of the problems you can have as you've been freelance for such a long time is you're used to you you're the you know you're you're the master of your own tiny mini mini domain and as a writer that's very true you're most things you know even when you when you write a book you're 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 the person in control of it it's something i found very enjoyable but challenging with 67 pal mal um doing all the filming because they're your part of a team you're just one small part but the people who are the, the camera guys and the people who are making the decisions about the direction and all the rest of it you know that's it's a huge team and i'm really enjoying that and it's something that I'm that I haven't been used to in, in, in my career before so so that's been great I mean that's half of the thing of this it's it's so enjoyable to be doing all learning all these new skills or to be picking up skills that you thought you'd forgotten and that you you know that that's really that's great yeah um let's talk scaling so you've got some real values backing you you're doing this with no uh additional investment are you advertising anywhere? Are you paying to advertise or are you relying on network and word of mouth? So far I'm doing network and word of mouth, but these are the things that I think I will, I, I do want to. You know, I, the, what I, I didn't know when I launched was what would the reaction be? You never know. And you know, you, you, as you said, there are those, you asked me, was there a moment when I thought, what the hell am I doing? There is no question that for the last two or three weeks before launch, I regularly was thinking, what the hell am I doing? Is this gonna work? And you know, will I get the numbers that I need to get to pay myself back for having done this investment? And now I'm, I mean, I'm only two months in, but I already feel so much calmer <laughs> about all of that because now I have got people, they have come, they have actually committed to, to become subscribers of mine. And I get lots of people writing lovely messages to me saying they're enjoying it. I got such a lovely message about three weeks ago from a woman sommelier in, I think, I've, 
Poland or somewhere in, in Eastern Europe who said that she'd never subscribed to a site before, but she'd heard me talking on um, a, a podcast, I'm sure it was, and you know, she really enjoyed the way I talked, so she so she signed up. And it was just lovely. It was really, really uh, great and kind of just made, made me feel happy that I was doing it. Anyway, so now at this point, then you start being more ambitious. I think, honestly, at the beginning, I thought, I just want to get to number X by Christmas, and then I'm going to be happy. But now I'm thinking, I think this can really work. So then if I want to scale up, I will need to, it doesn't have to be investment from outsiders, I can go to a bank, but there, but there are certainly things that you think, you know, if I'm going to go go bigger, then I've, I'm sure you do need to advertise. I'm sure there are all those kind of things to do. And that I'm not so, I'm not so sure of yet well, how I would do it. What about, so I know that you said on the site or in one of your interviews that right now you're the content creator, but at some point you do want to bring in more professionals yeah. to write for you. Because How I'd like it you... to be a platform as well. I mean, mm-hmm. I'd like this to be, already I have, I want people who are experts in Bordeaux to have a voice here as well. But And, and then as we grow experts in, in Opus One or in other, you know, other things as well. So I, I guess the questions are, how do you maintain your voice and your personality and your values as you scale, but also does the day ever come when we're no longer just inside Bordeaux and we're, you know, going beyond Bordeaux? I, I, so for now, I think the good thing about the way that my site is set up and the way the content is, is that there is plenty of opportunity for other voices without necessarily them having to be writing about, about wine. So for now, I think in terms of the tasting notes, I am just going to keep on it being me that's doing that part of it. But there is so much opportunity for this idea of the podcast, the videos, the the history, the you know, all of these different things that I find fascinating, and I really want people to also find fascinating and to enjoy reading um, or interacting with. And that is where a lot of other voices can be. I think for now, I'm going to stick to being being my um, tasting notes, not just about Bordeaux, but about these other wines that we're talking about. And then it's a question for further down the line, if I would expand beyond that. For now, I just want to do as good a job as I possibly can with the way that the site is now and not trying to run before I can walk. And something I've always found with my career is I, you know, Bordeaux is quite competitive. There are lots of new people always coming into the space. You know, we, we alluded to that earlier. And every time you pick up the paper at the moment or, or look online, there's a new person who's about to come and start doing Bordeaux. All I can worry about is me doing my job well. Is me, you know, carrying on doing what I do and trying to be to to be consistent and regular with it, and and kind of surprise people and keep trying to do the stuff that I do. I can't worry about new people coming in and setting up a rival site, and you know that's all. That's that's something that I found throughout throughout my career. Just you can you just keep doing what you do and try and do it well. Nothing would be better for Bordeaux than the need for five or six sites about <laughs> Bordeaux. I mean, if you can accomplish that, you've done fabulous, fabulous things. So last question, how much pressure do you feel being the one woman in this space to be that voice of Bordeaux? I know you said in an interview with Don Cavanaugh that, um, you know, is there this idea that Bordeaux has a perception problem? I think that was specifically what he asked you. And I guess how I would change that is, do you think Bordeaux as a whole has a communication problem and it's your job to break free of that and to help them out? Well, I think I can't help 
Bordeaux at all because they have to, you know, I'm I'm not here to do PR for Bordeaux. I think that is hugely important for me and for anyone who, who wants to, who might be a subscriber to know that, that you know, I'm, I'm here to observe and to talk about Bordeaux and to sh talk about the things that I find interesting about Bordeaux, but also sometimes the things that I found negative about Bordeaux. One of the things that I'm most proud of from Decanter from the last year was writing, and I've done it a few times, but I just happened to have done one quite soon before I left, um, quite um, was about the diversity issue in Bordeaux and how this shameful, shameful, truly lack of um, different races, different um, uh, economic um, voices who talk about Bordeaux, all of this kind of thing. And I, I, I did a, a, an article where I um, highlighted some people who I thought were changing that. And I hope that my site can continue to do that and to be a platform for for, for different voices. And so for me as a woman, it's great that I'm a woman, but this is, so, you know, Bordeaux has so much more it needs to do for other representation that is not just about, oh, great, there's a woman talking about Bordeaux now. You know, there's so much more that Bordeaux needs to do. And I, I, I hope they do. But I would do it on my site only because I think that there's a value to it in and, in and of itself, not to help Bordeaux or to reflect back, oh, isn't Bordeaux better now? No, I would do it because I think there would be such value for, for me and for my subscribers to have different voices on the site talking about it. So, oh, and actually one last thing. I'm also trying, and this is a, another example of where you can best laid plans, etc. I've, I've got a, I've got a, my first book, I want to reissue as an NFT and I'm ready to do it. I've got the, the digital file ready to go. And I had found somebody who was supposed to be launching a wine platform and I was going to launch my NFT through them. And they seem to have disappeared. Um, and this is a good example of how now I have to start all over again. So there is, you know, there are plans that you want that don't always happen. And then there's, there's, there's but, but as a whole, I couldn't be happier with how the first couple of months have gone. And the great thing about it, it being your own, is that if there's something that sounds fabulous and you want to try it, you can. Yeah. So that that's the magic of going your own way, I think. Um, Jane, thank you so much. I really appreciate your time today. And thank you for bearing with our initial technical difficulties. I guess my very last question for you, and this is something that everybody's going to get asked, is you've gone through a year, a year and two months getting to this point. Is there anything that if you'd had all the money in the world, you would have done differently? Oh, my goodness me. Um, <laughs> um, oh, God, there probably is. Um, I think, well, maybe I would have had right from the start, I would have employed as well somebody to be the editor for me to help, you know, to, to, to kind of make sure, again, again, it comes back to me wanting the content to be as good as possible for people who are, who are reading it. So I guess maybe I would have had a team to also be sure on, on that side of things, the editing side. You know, and what's so great about that is that good content can overcome any flaw that you have, you know, bad content, not providing value, no amount of pretty buttons or fancy forms or even databases can provide value where it's not there. So good on you for having a good focus and awesome that you from day one reached out for help because that makes me feel bolstered about, you know, the future for what we do. Yeah. Um, on that note, I've kept you for a very long time and I appreciate you talking to us. And I will now let you go and get on with the business of being Jane Anson. <laughs> Polly, thank you so much. It was great to chat to you. And that's a wrap for this week's episode of Uncorked. 
Thanks for listening, and a special thank you to Jane Anson for joining me today. The Italian Wine Podcast is among the leading wine podcasts in the world, and the only one with daily episodes. Tune in each day and discover all our different shows. Be sure to join us next Sunday for another look at the world of wine marketing. You can find past episodes and more information online at italianwinepodcast.com, as well as SoundCloud, Spotify, Himalaya, or wherever you get your pod. Hi, everybody. Italian Wine Podcast celebrates its fourth anniversary this year, and we all love the great content they put out every day. Chin Chin with Italian Wine People has become a big part of our day, and the team in Verona needs to feel our love. Producing the show is not easy, folks. Hurting all those hosts, getting the interviews, dropping the clubhouse recordings, not to mention editing all the material. Let's give them a tangible fan hug with a contribution to all their costs. Head to ItalianWinePodcast.com and click Donate to show your love.